But even if you don't agree with another person, and even if you don't do what the other person may ask you to do, if you show that other person that you care for them, that you love them, that they're important to you, eventually you have to open up their heart. The hardest of hearts you open up as well. Forgiving one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Shalom and welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. This is Barbara Heller. I'm in my Jerusalem spirit today because I'm interviewing Rabbi Benji Levine out of Jerusalem, Israel. But before we get to that, I want to make sure everybody knows that I am starting a brand new course in just a few weeks called Speak My Magic. You can go there, speakmymagic.com, and find out more about it. It's a place for your inner child to roam free and create something really beautiful from your story. If you're itching to do something creative with some angst that may have built up during COVID, if there's always been something you wanted to share, but you're just not quite sure how to do it in some super creative way, this is the place for you. I am so excited to introduce you guys to one of my favorite people in the world, Rabbi Benji Levine. He is a world-renowned storyteller, actor. He did a show called The Four Faces of Israel in which he plays four different distinct characters that you would find in Israel. I saw this back in my early 20s and I couldn't stop crying, laughing. I wanted to meet him after the show. And not only did I meet him, but he said, you must come for Shabbat. And so myself and my sister were invited back to his home where I met his amazing wife, Edna, and their 10 children, Kanainahara, each one of them with a very distinctive personality. I felt like I was being adopted and I love their family so much. So it's just so great to have him on today. His show, The Four Faces of Israel, is so wonderful because it's almost like watching four different one-man shows. You hear four distinctive voices that each speak to a different part of us, no matter where we're from, no matter what religion we're from. Everyone can learn something from his show and also from just his incredible way of storytelling. Thankfully, he's telling many stories today on the show, so you're in for a real treat. He comes from a very famous family. You can look up all of his relatives. And his grandfather being Rav Arye Levine, there's a book actually written about him called A Tzaddik in Our Time. His grandfather was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem for a while. His uncle, Rav Yosef Shalom Eliashev, was a rabbi that people would line up around the street just to talk to for a few moments. He was on the board of an organization called Gesher, which literally means bridge because he has this incredible way, you'll hear in a moment, of bridging people together. And throughout his life, was lucky enough to meet some of the greatest thought leaders of our time. And you can tell when he starts to tell stories and open up how much they had an impact on his life. I once saw him learning Torah with a gentleman who had Down syndrome. And I said, wow, that's so nice that you took the time to learn with him. And he said, took the time? That's my learning partner. I meet with him once a week. He also holds the title of being one of the greatest friends of the late chief rabbi of England, Jonathan Sachs. And up until recently, he was the standing rabbi of his late grandfather's synagogue in Nahlo, Jerusalem. Without further ado, I give you my chat with Rabbi Benji Levine. Welcome to See One Beautiful Soul, Rabbi Benji Levine. It's such an honor, such a privilege, and a pleasure to have you here. You are such an important 
I would even say like fixture in my family. And it's it's an you. honor for me to be speaking to you. Well, see, that's how he does it. He always reflects the light right back. This podcast is all about what I think is going to save the whole world, which is forgiveness, forgiving ourselves and forgiving each other. If, if only we could see each other the way I think you, Benji, see every living being you know, from dogs on the street, you have that in common with my grandmother who you once met, but Sheva Bat Yisrael, who her neshama Sheva and Aliyah, you met her right before uh, she passed away. And, you know, I was so excited when you guys met because you, the two of you are the people I probably think of the most in terms of how to have compassion for other people in the world. And I don't take it lightly. I've known you almost 20 years. Can you believe that? I met you in my early twenties and you completely changed my life when I met you. And, um, you know, I know that it runs in your family that you come from a long line of very holy, special people. And when I say holy, I don't just mean religious in the religious sense. And I know you could talk for about that for hours, but I'm getting at the point is the, the podcast is really about people thinking about the choices we make in terms of how we view other people. How do we view each other? And I think there's no other person on the planet, honestly, that probably can articulate it better than you. So without further ado, if you want to talk about how you came to be that person, how you came to see people the way that you see them. I was very, very lucky to live with uh, great people and learn from them. My grandfather was called one of the holiest men of Jerusalem. And I was once interviewed on a radio station in New York many years ago. It was a non-Jewish program. And they were trying to explain to people what a tzaddik, what a holy man is. So the first question they asked me was, what was it like to live the Dalai Lama and Mother Teresa of the Jewish world? Though I was born in America and grew up in America, my father was born in Jerusalem. And my grandfather was known there as one of the holy men of the city. By Arya Levine, say Levin, they write it because in the Hebrew, it can be Levine or Levin. So they write Levin. And he had a tremendous, tremendous influence on my life, as did my father. Not only when they would study with me, but when I was walking with them, they would tell me stories, incidents that happened in their lives. And those are the things that remain for your entire life. I was a young boy, and I remember once walking the street with my grandfather and seeing, as we walked, so many different people from across the street, when they saw him, running over just to say hello to him, to shake his hand. Various types of people from, from different cultures, many different types of people. And I asked my grandfather then, I said, how did you manage to get to so many different types of people? The language barrier, the culture differences. What is the secret? Today, people take courses, you know. Years ago, it used to be how to win friends and influence people, or courses to be popular. Pay a lot of money for these courses and they promise you at the end, you'll get the secret. And as a result, you'll be very popular and loved by everyone. And I asked my grandfather, what is your secret? Without any courses, uh, he told me a little story. And that little story is a story I tell over very, very often. He said to me, there was once father and a son that came to a rabbi and they had one winter coat. They both needed a coat. Father said to the rabbi, rabbi, we have one winter coat. I'm an older man. I really need this coat. My son is young. He doesn't feel the cold the way that I do. And the son said, that's true, Rabbi. 
but my father didn't tell you that he sits at home the whole day and I go out to bring him sustenance, to bring him food. So I really need the coat because I go out to the cold. Uh, the rabbi hears this and he said, I'll give you an answer, but not today. I want you to come back tomorrow with the same coat. And I want you, the father, to take the son's side and the son to take the father's side. And then I will give you an answer. They didn't understand what, is he, what does he want from our lives? But they did what he said, and they came back the next day with the same coat. And the father began, as the rabbi had told him the day before to do, he said, Rabbi, we have one coat, and I want my son to take it. Mm. He goes out to bring me sustenance. He goes out to the coat. He really needs the coat more than I do. And the son said, no, no, Rabbi. My father's an old man. He feels the cold so much more than I do. I want him to take it. So the rabbi hears this and he goes over to the closet. He opens the door and he takes out another winter coat. And he says, you see this winter coat? It's a spare. I never used it. Come the father. Come here a minute. This will be good on you. He puts the coat on him. It fits him well. He says, you will take this coat. Your son, you'll take the coat that you're holding. Now you both have a coat. We ended the problem. Have a great day. So the father says, rabbi, thank you for this coat. Can I ask you one question before we leave? He says, go ahead. He says, when we were here yesterday, was that coat in the closet? The rabbi said, that coat has been in the closet for the last 20 years. I never use it. It's a spare. He said, so why didn't you give it to us yesterday when we were here? Why did you make us come back? So the rabbi said, you didn't get it. Yesterday when you came and the father said, we have a coat and it's mine. And the son said, we have a coat and it's mine. The rabbi said, I also said I have a coat in the closet and it's mine. But today when you came back and the father said, we have a coat, but I want it to be to give it to him, the son. And the son said, we have a coat, but I want to give it to the father. The rabbi said, I also have a coat and I want to give it to you. And my grandfather said to me, if you want to open up the heart of another person, there's only one way to do it. Open up your heart to them and you will see eventually that you will open up their heart as well. People think that in order to make another person love you, you have to do whatever they tell, they tell you. But it's wrong because if you do whatever another person tells you to do because you want them to love you, you become cheap in their eyes. But even if you don't agree with another person, and even if you don't do what the other person may ask you to do, if you show that other person that you care for them, that you love them, that they're important to you, Eventually, you have to open up their heart. The hardest of hearts, you open up as well. And uh, that was a very, very great lesson for me in life because that was his life. His life was, he, he always saw the good in other people and he opened up his heart to other people. And he didn't necessarily agree with everyone, but he showed those people that he cared for them and he loved them. And all they could do was return that love to him. Wow. I haven't stopped crying since you started talking. I think part of it is just, no, it's a, it's a good cry. I think we have a saying in our tradition that tears for the, from the heart actually cleanse the whole, you know, soul. And, um, you know, when you have a good cry. Yeah, it's a healthy thing. You know, what you said now, tears from the heart, what you do in life has to be honest and true. It leads me to something that I always talk about. Ever since I was a young person, I always used to ask, how do you open up the gates of heaven when they're locked? When you have a problem in life and you and the gates are locked, you pray, whatever, and you don't know how to open them up. So 
great masters like Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Bardichev, who was uh, always compassionate, they, they once asked him, why do you hang around with all these thieves in the town? He used to see this holy man hanging around with the thieves in the town. He said, why do I hang around with them? He said, there are times when the gates of heaven are locked. And with all my prayers, I can't do anything. Mm. Then I call all these thieves. They know how to break all the locks and open up all the gates. And he always saw the good in every person. But a question that always bothered me was, how do you open up gates that are locked when you have a problem in your life or whatever? And um, I'm going to tell you two stories. A story that happened to me with an uncle of mine. It's also a very sainted uh, individual, long beard. He looked the part, but he was also the part. It was real. And um, many years ago in Jerusalem, there was a fellow who was dying in the Hadassah Hospital. He was very well known. He was like a guru to many, many people. We had met once when we both spoke in a prison to the prisoners, and we became good friends. They had a, a, a bookstore. He was a very intelligent fellow, very charismatic. And he was dying in the hospital. He had a lot of very influential friends. And one of his influential friends said to him, can you get your uncle to come to the hospital, give him a blessing? He said, I'll come and pick you up and I'll take you back. He said, just let me know if your uncle will come to give him a blessing. So I went to my uncle. We spoke in Yiddish. So he said to me, if you come with me, I'll go. I said, fine. I called up the fellow. I told him, well, come. We arranged when he came and picked us up and we went to the hospital. Now, we came into the hospital and he had a private room. There were a lot of people standing outside the room. He was in bad shape. When they saw my uncle coming towards the room, his long beard, his holy face, they, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. And they made a place for him to walk in. There was no one in the room. He walked into the room and before he closed the door, he called out to me and he said to me, Binyamin, you come in as well. So the people parted from me and I walked in. We went into the room, closed the door, sat on this little couch next to the bed where this guy was dying. Mm. I'm sitting there, young guy, How old together are you? with my uncle, 21, a young man. I'm sitting next to my holy uncle who is sitting there and he's moving back and forth thinking. And then... It was like something out of a Woody Allen movie. He turns to me and he says to me in Yiddish, what do we do now? <laughs> and, and it blew my mind. He had studied with me and I was very close to him. So instinctively I said, what are you asking me? I'm not the holy man. You're the holy man. What are you asking me? He said a number of prayers. And then we got up and we left. Later on, one of the nurses who was there told me she saw a smile on his face that she hadn't seen for some time that he'd been in the hospital. Certain uh, peace or tranquility that was over him. Mm. Now, I said to myself, what did I think of my uncle at that time? Did I think less of him? This is Reb Raphael Levine. Did I think less of him? Because he turned to me and says, what do we do now? I thought much more of him because he didn't come with like a red book or something that this is what you say for this. This is what you do for this. This is what you say. He was a very honest, genuine person. He just said to me, what do they want from me? Who am I? <laughs> what do we do now? It was a very, very honest, sincere. So I thought of him much more 
than I thought of him even before because it was very, very honest. I went to India and Thailand and Japan. I think I told you with my bat mitzvah money looking for God. I was raised very secular, as you know. I went on a search in my early 20s by myself to these countries because I was so enchanted with Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, just anything I could get my hands on in, in college to read and kind of fill the heart. Most people don't know that, but when I was going through that period, eventually I found my way to this book called The Alchemist, which is written by Paul Coelho, and it's actually based on a midrash, and everyone thinks he wrote it. It's a story from the Talmud, it's the most beautiful story. I mean, he embellished it in a beautiful way, but it's, it's just this little piece about somebody looking and finding their truth from within. You don't have to have to go around the world. So right. that book kind of brought me back, but this is all to say when I went to Jerusalem and I was studying for almost two years, you were one of the first people I met, and thank God, because just meeting you, just being in your presence and the fact that you knew who Helen Hunt was and I could do my impression of Helen for you <laughs> and you appreciated it and said, honey, you gotta, you know, you came home and, and you had me over for Shabbos and the first thing you said wasn't good Shabbos. You said, do the Helen Hunt and the Sandra Bullock for my wife. And so, you know, besides the fact that we totally got each other because you're an actor and all that, what I love about you is that when I started going through my cuckoo phase, that's what I call it, and I got very, very, very religious on the outside, and I was taking on all these different commandments and stringencies because I wanted to be so close to God, and you said, calm down, it's going to be okay. And I, say, I came to you, I said, but I need a Hebrew name. My parents didn't give me a special Hebrew name, and I didn't have the ceremony, and blah, 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 and who am I going to ask, and which rabbi do I go to, and then... And you said, why are you asking me? Ask God. Why are you asking any person? It's not a person's job. It's God's job. Go back to that conversation so much in my mind whenever I'm going through a really difficult time because you gave me the confidence, as I'm sure you do with so many people. You have, can I know her, 10 kids of your own. Such a brilliant, beautiful thing you gave me. You said, you have all the answers inside of you. You don't have to. It's like Dorothy with the red slippers. You don't have to go to anybody to find them. It's not another person's job. You're actually taking away your job on this earth. You have to have a direct connection with God and ask God, don't ask me. And it's like this, and now I see why you knew how to do that because your uncle, Rav Raphael Levine, gave that to you. Yeah, but you did it yourself. You're right. So <laughs> now I'll tell you the Hasidic story. Okay. There was a group of Hasidim on their way to see their master. Every year they would go for a period of time to be with their master for a few months and study by him. And he was called the Chosemi Lublin, the seer of Lublin, S-E-E-R, the seer of Lublin. And on the and way- what's the seer? He could see, he, he could see things uh, that ordinary people didn't see. And um, they were on the way to him, a group of these Hasidim, and on the way, they ran out of food, the money they had, they had nothing left. And they still had a few weeks to get to their master. So what are they going to do? So one of them says, plan. I got a great idea. Now, when a chassid says to you, plan, I have a plan, run. <laughs> 
Why? You're headed for trouble. You know, we always say that in a joke, but when, when he says to you, I have a plan, you kind of know you're headed for trouble. So they say, what's your plan? He said, you see down there off the beaten path, there's a little village. They have never had a great master, a Rebbe, come to their village. So what we're going to do is, he points to one of the guys, we're going to make you the Rebbe, and we're going to go into this little tent, and you're going to sit at the head of the table, and you're going to start giving blessings. And people are going to come asking for blessings, and they're going to give us fruits and food and money. And after we make enough, after a couple of days or whatever, we have enough to continue our journey, we're going to get out of there. So what they do is they put up signs. They send somebody to put up signs. The great master is coming to the town. And the people go nuts because they never had a great master come to their little village. So they all start checking their homes to make sure everything is kosher and right and fine. It's the event of the century. And these guys march in and they put this guy at the head of the table. They make a big table. And he starts giving blessings to everyone. And it's going great, better than they could have imagined. He gives blessings to this one and blessings to that one. And they bring them fruits and they bring them all kinds of food and they bring them money. Everything is going great until the third meal of the Shabbat. Shabbat afternoon, Saturday afternoon, towards evening when they have the third meal of the Shabbat. As he is holding court, the so-called master, the Rebbe, the man runs in and says, holy master, we all questioned, all the people in this village, in this town, why were we privileged to have a great man like you come to our town? We never had it before, but now I know why. My son is dying, and the doctors just said, there is no hope for him at all. The only thing that can save him maybe is a miracle. Maybe some holy man will come to the town, there'll be a miracle, it'll be able to save him because there's no way that he can make it. And he says, now, holy man, we understand why you at this time came to our town. So please come with me, my son is dying. Oh my gosh. And this guy turns to his other friends and he says, what do I do now? And they say to him, you gotta go. Because if you don't go, they're gonna know that we're phonies, so you have no choice. So I'm not correlating the two stories. It's, it's what do we do now that just made the connection. So he goes with the father and they come to the house. The father opens up the door where the son is lying and he leads him in and he closes the door. And this so-called holy man is in there for 10, 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, he opens the door. He runs out past the father, doesn't say a word, runs back to the table where all his friends are and he said, the minute the Sabbath is over, we're getting out of here. No lengthy things, nothing. The minute, the second we're allowed to travel, we leave town because they're going to find out that I'm a phony, that we're oh. phony. And that's what they do. The minute, the moment the Sabbath is out, the sun sets, they make haste and they leave the town. And they make their way to, the, to their master, the real master. And they're by him for a month or two, whatever. On the way back, when they're going back to their homes, which is a bit of a way, in the middle of the way, who should they see coming opposite them? The father of that young boy. Oh, boy. And the father sees 
this so-called master standing there coming towards him and he goes oh, oh, oh. and the father says oh my god he says do you know who that is that's the father of that boy that i went he called me to come to make his son better whatever he's going to kill us and they turn around <laughs> and they start running for their lives and the father starts running after them and he finally grabs the so-called master by his by the back mm. he spins him around and he starts hugging and kissing him mm. and he says holy master why did you leave so quickly as soon as the sabbath ended we came to thank you for the great miracle that you did and he says huh what do you mean he said after you left mm. and you ran past me you went out i walked into the room and my son opened his eyes and he started to smile and he started jumping on the bed mm. and we called the doctors and they came in they said this is a miracle there was no chance away for this to happen and we came to thank you the family and everyone and when we came to where you were what did they tell us that in your great humility you didn't want to be thanked but you left town as soon as you could so how can i ever thank you for what you did and they part and after they're walking a little bit the guy who made the other guy the master says what happened in that room he says what do you mean he says you went into that room where the little boy was dying you were there for 15 minutes the door was closed what happened then he says nothing he said no 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 i want you to tell me recall everything that happened he said i went into the room and I saw this lovely little child and he was dying. And I looked around, I looked up at God and I fell on the floor and I said, God Almighty, I am the lowest of the low. I am a fake, I am a fraud, I'm a thief. But one thing I ask you, God Almighty, don't let a person like me, please, take away that pure faith that that father has in holy people and that opened up all the doors and the kid became better and i said that had they brought the greatest healers and holy people of this generation or that generation to that room none of them would have been able to do anything the only person that could do what he did was that person who was a fraud but at that moment, he had a moment of total honesty where he stood naked in front of God and said, this is who I am. I'm not a holy man. I'm nothing. I am a nothing. I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. But God Almighty, I see such faith and belief that this father has in holy people and in you, O oh God, as much as a fraud that I may be, don't let me take away that holy faith that that person has. And, and I really believe that the thing that opens up gates in difficult times is when we can be totally honest, when we stand in front of God, totally, as so to say, naked in front of him. This is who I am. I'm not playing any games. I'm not pretending anything. Mm -hmm. I am, this is what I am. But please, God, I see people with faith. I see people who believe 
and I don't want to be the one to take that away from them. And that's such a powerful thing. And yeah. I believe in that very much. And the great people that I've seen in my life were very, very humble people, people who never thought of themselves as anything special or whatever. And they were very simple people in many ways. But the faith that they had, the greatness that they had in them was something that I'll never forget in my life. You see that in all professions, by the way. I'm not talking about people who made it through publicity or whatever in that. I'm talking about the really, really greats. There you find humility. Humility is definitely the only way to forgiveness and truth and, and really truth and love. But I think you bring up something that I never thought about until this moment. I'm not surprised. You made me think of something new. Honesty. Such a special word. <laughs> Such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Billy Joel got it right. He's also, he happens to be Jewish too. You're saying something very profound, which is in order to get to humility, you actually have to be honest with yourself. In order to get to forgiveness, you actually have to be honest with the other person. Um, I see a lot of this like cancel culture today and it really bothers me when I see it where someone will say, you come from a group of people that I don't like. So no matter what you say or do, I'm not forgiving you for what you guys did to my people. And this could be any two people because whatever the few people I met from your group or what I know about you guys, what you did to my people was wrong. And so therefore I can't be friends with you. You voted differently than me. It's never about one and one or nuance or what happened in that moment. And even the, 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 the worst white supremacist in the world, if, if let's say someone who's Jewish or, or Muslim or black, they go to that person and they see all the horrific things that they did. In order to actually make peace in this world, we would all have to take it upon ourselves to actually try to see where this person is coming from, even the white supremacists. Both sides have to be honest. It's a very, very important point in, in asking for forgiveness. I always remember Mark Twain in his biography, he writes that he had a publisher who was terrible, terrible to him, did terrible to things. He cheated him out of so many things. And he writes about it in his biography. But at the end, he feels so bad against him that in the end, he has to have a little compassion and write something good. <laughs> so he writes, my dear publisher is dead already 25 years. I can't get to him in any way. I feel great compassion for him. And if I could, I would send him a fan. <laughs> Because he figured he was burning in hell for all the time. <laughs> That's hysterical. It's so great. It's so Mark Twain. It's so but good. You see, God forgives. That's the wonderful thing. That the fact of forgiveness, that God forgives any person, anything they do. And if you really come back and you're contract, you really mean it, then he, um, then he forgives. See, I once heard, I think maybe from my father, where a man was dying. He was very, very upset. He reached the lowest of the low. He had done terrible, terrible things in his life. And uh, this man of the cloth came to speak with him. Uh, the minister, he was sitting with him and he was, he was crying. This is fellow who was dying and said that, um, I, I'm going to burn in hell. All I did, I did such terrible things my whole life. There's no question I'm going to burn in hell. I'm going to burn in hell. And as the minister was talking to him, he saw next to him on the night table was a picture of a, of a very nice looking young man. So he said to him, who is that young man? 
He said, that's my son, my son that I love so dearly. The minister said to him, tell me something. If your son did terrible things and he acted in a terrible way, would you still love him? Would you still care for him? Mm. If he did the most terrible of things, would you forgive him? And he said, mm. what are you asking me? I'm telling you, he is the love of my life. I, I look up the light of my life. Uh, whatever he did, I would always have compassion. I would always love him. I would always feel for him and I would always forgive him. The minister turned to the man and said, you know, God on his night table also has a picture, a picture of you. Yeah. Real compassion comes when a person really feels that they have done wrong and they want to change whatever. God knows. He sees into the souls of people what is true and what is not true. My, my grandfather had a story. He told me that he even wrote it down, I think, in his biography, that when he was studying in the great academy in Europe, in Valojan, was one of the great Torah academies. He said there was a librarian there, and the librarian was, was, was acted, one of the students became the librarian and acted terrible to him. Every time he wanted to borrow a book, he made his life a misery. And he, and, he, and he mocked him and he said, uh, okay, come back later. He said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have it now. It made him come back. And he kept asking himself, why is this person acting so terrible to me? I never did anything to him. And then he said, one night uh, when he went, he was thinking before he went to bed, why is this person acting so terrible to me, mocking me and making fun of me and everything? I never did anything to hurt him. And then that night he said he had a dream. And in the dream came back to him an incident that happened when he was very young. And the incident was that in his little town where he lived, uh, there was an academy for studying and people used to come to study there. Young boys, I mean, they were older than them. They were, and there was no dormitory. So different people in the town would provide them with their meals. And they, each one had like seven people a week would provide them with a meal each day or whatever. He said, and the young kids, he said, and I was one of them, we would help serve the meals. That was our duty. He said, and one day, he said, we were sitting together and one of the young kids um, uh, pushed or did something to the, one of the older boys that was, that was studying in the town. And he turned around and he thought, my grandfather said, he thought that my grandfather had done it. So he started hitting him ruthlessly. And my grandfather said, I didn't do anything. I'm not the one that did it. I'm not guilty of this. And he didn't listen. And he just pummeled him and he pummeled him and he hit him and everything. And, um, and he was so hurt by it. Later on, when the older boys left and it was just the youngsters around, he started, my grandfather's a little boy, like to ridicule and mock this other fellow until he had everybody laughing. And all of a sudden, it came back to him in this dream, this story that had happened many years before. And right away, he thought to himself, maybe that's the reason why now this fellow years later, who had nothing to do with it now, is mocking and ridiculing me. So he ran to the synagogue and he opened up the Holy Ark and he said, God Almighty, if I could only find this fellow who I ridiculed and mocked 
because he had hit him and, and whatever, he said, I would run anywhere in the face of the earth to beg apology, to, pay, I'm so, to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. He said, but I have no idea where he is. So please let the agony and the pain and the anguish that I feel and I'm going through uh, make up for the pain that I may have caused this young man. And my grandfather said the next morning when he went back to the yeshiva, to the academy, all of a sudden, the librarian started to act to him in a totally different way and was very, very nice to him. And my grandfather took that as a sign that what he had done had really been, though years later, to somebody else, we never know how these things work because we are very limited in time. But I guess one day, if we could see a whole picture, we would see how so many things in our lives that we don't understand really tie in and make a complete picture. We just don't see it. What a beautiful depiction of karma. I am so floored by that story. That's happened to me too, you know, as I grow in my prayer. I definitely feel that the more that I pray and the more specific I am about certain things and the more conscious and conscientious I am in my day, knowing that like God is sort of part of all of it or the universe, whatever you want to call it, is part of it, then I get to see God's presence more and more in my life. And I've done that too. I pray at night sometimes and I'll ask questions and then in the morning I have an answer or I have some sort of clarity about it that I can't even explain. And it's as if, you know, in the middle of the night, maybe some angels came and like had a conversation with me. I'd like to talk a little bit about some things that have happened in your life, your own forgiveness of other people. That is such a hot topic. People taking their ego and just like leaving it at the door so they can actually play in the game of life. When in your life did you have moments of, I could be really upset right now because I'm a human being. And I, I've seen you, I mean, I've known you 20 years, so I've seen you get upset, but it's always to me, like justified and earnest. And, and then I'll also see you go, yeah, but look at what this person's going through. It makes me so upset they would treat this person this way or they would do this to another person. But think about where they're coming from. I don't want to get political at all, but you live in a hotbed of war, right? You live in the middle of Israel and Jerusalem. There's a lot of things to be angry about all the time in lots of ways. I think every person in their lives have things that they uh, maybe justifiably, uh, can be angry about. The problem is, and one of the things I learned in my life is that when you're angry at somebody else, who suffers from that? Does the other person suffer from it? I mean, if you sit in your house and you're upset and angry about what somebody did to you, the other person doesn't suffer from it at all. The only person that suffers from it is you yourself. You eat yourself up over it because you're upset, you're angry. The greatest thing in the world, very often too, you think somebody did that to me. That, and then if you would find out, you would find out that it wasn't that at all. It was really something completely different and they didn't even mean that. So. The best thing in those situations is right away to go to the other the person and say, I feel that you acted so and so in such a way to me. Why? Is it true? And just bring it out into the open. Sometimes you will find that the person didn't even mean that. It was in your head. You thought the other person was thinking that and he didn't even think it at all. So why spend weeks and weeks of feeling so big? I once I saw there were two brothers who didn't talk to each other for years. And usually the reasons that these things come out are for, for reasons nobody remembers afterwards or whatever. 
and they didn't come to each other's happy occasions. They didn't come to the other one's wedding, their children's wedding, the other. They, they were brigus, as they say. They were angry for years and years. And years later, when they're old people and their hair is white and they're with a cane, they meet. And one looks at the other and he says, Yossi. And he says, Avram. And they fall on each other's shoulders and they start crying. What happened? All these years, we didn't spend time with each other. We didn't go to each other's happy occasions, the joyous occasions that we had. And they don't even remember what was the reason for it because he was slighted. He made a party and he didn't give him an honor or something, whatever. They don't even remember the reason for it. Is that worth it to spend years of not having joy with somebody who's so close to you and everything? Because you never spoke to each other. You never talked it out or whatever. You would have found out that he never meant it at all, that he wanted to. There was a reason for it. And it happens so often in families that people don't, siblings don't talk to each other for long periods of time. Friends who become, they become enemies in many ways. And, and if they would just be open to each other, honest with each other, come to each other and said, listen, even if you come to another person, you say to them, you know, I feel that you're very upset with me. Did I do something to hurt you? Maybe the other person will find out that what you did also, you didn't even mean it all it wasn't. And the most important thing is to not leave these things inside. When you feel that somebody wronged you, that to go over to that person and say, I see that you, you may have something against me. What is it? And if I did something wrong, I apologize because I didn't want to do it. And if you did something bad, you say, I was wrong and I should never have done it. And I apologize for it. And you know how much agony and pain when you do that, it can spare, not only for the other person, for you yourself when you're living the whole time with it and it's bothering you and bothering you the whole time. So let's break That's that what, down. You go over to the person and you say, I see you have something against me or would it be better to say, do you have something against me? And if there's something I did, I'd love to hear what it is. Right, or you say, is there something bothering you? I feel that something has changed in our relationship. Is yeah. there something that's bothering you? Now, what Please if tell me. Please tell me. So now that's a great beginning. So what if someone's listening right now and they're like, oh, I'm so nervous to do that. What do you say to that person? I, you can't force a person to do it. I mean, if I was in a situation where I knew pe two people had that situation, I would try in any way to orchestrate, to make it happen. You are a bridge. You constantly are trying to help people get You lose so much in your life when you close yourself to, to different people, to opportunities. And, and it's a shame because I, I've met so many different types of people in my life who don't believe as I do, who maybe not share the same things, but I've learned so many things from different people. Even if it's the person that's sweeping the street and cleaning up, you say hello to him in the morning and you talk to them and it's, you say hello to the bus driver in the morning and it becomes a, what Martin Buber calls an I-thou relationship. In other words, not just, not just that I get on the bus and I pay my money or I come to the teller in the bank and I do what I have to do, but you say hello and you say, oh, wow, you look very nice today. Today, you have to be careful when you say those things, I know. But, um, and, and it's a shame 
because we grew up in a different world where, where politeness and being nice to people, and today people are afraid to do it. They're afraid even to say something nice to somebody else. But, um, but, but it's so important when you relate to another person and you open up something and you not just, you just stand there and you do what you have to do, but you relate to the other person as a person. And as soon as there's a connection of two people, and it doesn't matter which cultures, what color of your skin or whatever, when you relate one person to another as a person, yeah. it's such a wonderful thing. It is. I think this goes along with the freedom piece. Like my, the show is about forgiveness, failure, and freedom. We haven't really talked about failure yet, but the freedom piece, uh, I'm very, I get a little bit nervous, not worried, but a little nervous sometimes when people tell me that not just China, China is definitely the forethinker on this, but there's certain technology companies that are selling data as the new oil. So when people are now, the new commodity is, you know, when you open up your cell phone, you're not just looking at what you clicked on on Facebook or, you know, I don't think you've ever been on Facebook, but, you know, they're not just looking at, you know, who you called on WhatsApp, like if you call me or text me. They're, they're listening to the conversation now. And if I say to you, did you get the, the donuts I sent you guys? And you go, yeah, I got them. They listen to the tone of how you say it and they collect that data. It's frightening. It's frightening. But, but the person who lives his life with God watching all the time knows that whether, whether he does use a phone or doesn't even use these phones or whatever, whatever he says... God is watching us. God is God watching, watching us. God is watching us. From a distance. No, that's it. And you just hit it. That's that. When I first heard about this with all these technology companies, I, I got very nervous. But then I thought to myself, why is a really bad question for God? Because we'll never know why. But I'll say, what can we learn from this? And I thought the same thing. The one thing, like Victor Frankl says, we can't, they can't take away from us, even these tech. And I don't mean to compare technology giants to Nazis, but it's a slippery slope, right? Because the Nazis tried to control us in a physical way. They're trying to control the way we pay money and use our money, but they can't take away what you just said before that, which is when you go into a store and you aren't just I'm a customer and you're the person selling. See, that's what the technology companies are trying to get us to do. The person behind the counter, when you look at them as a full-fledged ball of light that has dreams 100%. and wishes, they can't take that away from us because th that is something money can't buy. The feeling you give, they can't take that away from me. They can't. We like to sing old songs together. How do you deal with failure? Uh, is a rabbi who's written many books, a great man. And uh, his name is Rabbi Benjamin Blech. We have such funny names as Jews. We've got Blech, we've got Blech. Right. Anyway. Well, this man is a very special, special man. Uh, a story that happened to him. And it was such a wonderful story when I read it. I read it over to all my children. The biggest event as a young boy in his life was his high school graduation play. Of course, he was uh, a, very, a very good student. He was given to, be, to play the part of the star of the high school play. And his role was to be Moses. Rabbi Benjamin Blech says, I, uh, I studied my part. I did it all. I knew it perfect in rehearsals. I did it all right. But when it came to the play itself and all the parents who were out there and all my friends and everything, 
first time he had been on the stage and he froze. He said, and I started to stammer and I started to this, he said, and I was just thinking, when is it going to be over? When is it going to be over? How am I going to face my friends, my family after this? He said, and as soon as the play was over, an unbelievable thing happened. The principal of the school got up and said, we want to thank everybody for the wonderful play. And especially the star of the play, Benjamin Blech. As you all know, Moses was a stutterer and a stammerer. And Benjamin Blech played that part so realistically. And we want to applaud him for the way he played the part. This wonderful, wonderful principal understood what had happened. And he turned the whole thing around. He said, and he became, he's a great speaker, a great teacher, a wonderful teacher. He's a remarkable human being. And that was a defining point. And he talks about this. And he says that there's a difference between failing and failure. In other words, he talks about it. I, I don't do justice, as I said to it. But what he says basically is failing is the thing that everyone needs in order to grow and to move up. And if you learn from a failure that you, you had and you become a better person, all it does is build you. And you need that. Every person who, who made it, who got to anything seriously, failed. But you must never see yourself as a failure. Once you define yourself as a failure, then you're a failure. Mm -hmm. No, you never de 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 define yourself as a failure. You say, I failed in this, but as a result of it, next time, I'm going to do it a lot better. And that's why failing becomes the, 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 uh, a stepping block to get to, to any dream that you have at all. You have to fail in order to grow, but never to see yourself as a failure. Mm, beautiful. And what's one tool that you use every day to get you to living a life of freedom? I believe that the most important thing is to follow your dreams, to believe in yourself. And even when it really looks bad, very often when it looks bad, that's when it starts to get great. And so you never give up. And if I, if I, I say to my children, if you ask me, what is the greatest thing I've learned in my life? I'm 73 today. What is the greatest thing I've learned in my life? And I've seen it through, through so many different things is that when you're down on the ropes, when you're down on the ropes and it's really bad, there's one thing you have to do. You have to get up and continue on because you never know where life is going to bring you. You never know what's around the corner and you never give up. And even if you're down and out, it's very difficult to do. It's very easy to say to another person, but you have to force yourself to get up mm. and to go on. Mm. Because I've seen so many times in my own lives when things looked so gray and whatever, and my father would say to me, it looks that way now, but just continue on. Keep going. And when you keep going, you find that things change and life's turn. It's never stagnant. Mm. It's life is like, like a, a river, like an ocean. It's always moving. You're never in the same place at the same time. And you always have to believe that Things are bad now, but it's not going to be like this forever. And you have to always keep going by. You have to know that you're on a mission. Okay, here's some wisdom I got from today's episode. Email me if you got anything different or a variation on what I'm about to say. I love comparing knowledge. 
If you want to open the heart of another person, open your heart to them. You don't have to do everything they want you to do, but you must try as hard as you can to love and accept them just as they are, and then they can't help but open their heart to you. It's kind of like when your mom says, you don't have to like your brother every two seconds, but you gotta love him. I don't have a brother, but if I did, I'm sure my mom would say that. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak ben Berdichev always saw the good in everyone. He was once asked why he hung out around thieves, and he said, why do I hang out around thieves? There are times when the gates of heaven are locked. So when I call on these thieves to give me a blessing, they, in their stand, can break open the locks of heaven because it's so out of character for them. So I keep them around. If you've got an unanswered prayer, maybe take a thief out for a cup of coffee. You know, maybe hide your wallet, but another good reason to see everyone as one big, beautiful soul. It's a great idea to cultivate a direct connection with the divine because, as Benji said so eloquently, The divine may just want to talk to you and tell you what the right answer is instead of you going to another person or a book all the time for the right answer. Sometimes you got to get beyond the noise, just take a deep breath, get quiet, and just start asking questions and see what happens. You can do it before you go to sleep, as he suggested, and maybe get some answers in the morning or the next day. I know that's happened to me a bunch of times. And those who are worth their weight in salt you've ever heard that expression someone that people send you to go talk to who is really a righteous person they're most likely going to try to get you to do the exact same thing they're going to encourage you to sit and meditate or pray and just ask cry out to the divine on your own and see what comes of that one line i love that he talked about through that story of the guy who thought he was a fake and a phony if you ever feel like you have imposter syndrome in any portion of your life you're asked to lead something that is not right for you so you think or you're asked to do something that just feels way too out of your league so to speak just look up to the divine or the source or whatever you want to call it and ask the question this doesn't feel like me show me that it's for me Please work through me anyway, because I feel like I'm out of my league here. And then watch what happens. You may be surprised by your own greatness. When we can be totally honest, naked, if you will, in front of God, and we say, this is who I am, I'm not playing any game, or I'm struggling with my own beliefs, please help me from this place, you'd be surprised at what kind of amazing clarity you can get to. In order to get to humility, you have to be honest with yourself. In order to get to forgiveness with the other person, you have to see their good qualities and see them as a whole person. When you sit in your house upset at someone who suffers, you, not the other person. So stop wasting time on being upset at anyone. Let it go and move through. I love that he compared life to a river that you don't really know where it's going. It's almost like the long and winding road. I don't think we can afford the rights to that song to play us out with it, but I figured I'd sing a little ditty of it. Thank you so much for being here. I know you could be in a lot of other places. It makes me so happy to know that you're here. If you like this episode, please share it with somebody. Maybe it'll bring a smile to their face and a warm hug to their heart. Thank you so much. Please share it. Please quote us on Instagram and Facebook. Find us on Facebook. We need more people like you on our page on Facebook, commenting, sharing things that came up that reminded you of this episode. You can feel free to reach out to me at any time at info at Thanks so much for listening. 
Have a wonderful week. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.